Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This, 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 Fight Disciples. Welcome to podcast episode number 768. We are the Fight Disciples. This is your MMA preview for the weekend coming up. Yes, we've just had action packed from London and it's going to get even hotter from Salt Lake City. Before we get stuck into it, please subscribe to us. You can do it via our website. Uh, head to fightdisciples.com. Every audio feed under the sun is waiting for you to sign up. So if you are just a one-hitter quitter, you come in for a little one-night stand to clear off. Don't do that. Just hit the button. Spotify, easy, in it? You don't have to listen to every episode, but the big ones, and this is a big one, I need you to be listening, so make sure you are. Uh, you can also watch us as well via our YouTube channel, fightdisciples.com. Oh, sorry, fightdisciples on YouTube is uh, how you uh, how you will find us. Hit the subscription button and shove us over that 30,000 subscription mark. That'd be great. Much appreciated. Um, like I said, lots of chatter off the back of UFC London, loads of different narratives. Uh, obviously, the rise of Tom Aspinall and how quick he's going to get to UFC gold is, is part of the narrative this week. But then it is quickly diluted. And that is no disrespect to Tom because things move quickly in this game. Let's go! Uh, we move on uh, to the BMF title. I know that I smile every time I say the BMF title. Um, but it's the BMF title this weekend between Justin and Dustin. They're going at it for a second time in Salt Lake Justin, City. That is Justin. your main event. Do you know what the best thing about this is? Because, I'm listen, when the BMF belt came in and it was Masvidal versus Diaz, right, we were all in. It was like, oh, it's a little bit it's a little bit of extra bit of summer. And I know that people come at us all the time, don't they? You're always moaning about too many belts in boxing. Yeah, boxing is one sport. MMA is another sport. Every now and again, I like a gimmick, right? Yeah, correct. So when it originally came in and we were doing it at New York, and The Rock was putting the belt on the winner. All these little bits. I'm like, you know, some of this is pretty cool. I know why you're doing it. Because you don't have a title fight. So therefore, you need something to be able to sell your pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Maz Vidal's on a hot streak. Taking on, you know, one of the OGs. It works, kids. It works. But we were told that it was a one-of-one, one, weren't we? That's it. It's a one-of-one. One. So how would you get around the old one-of-one? You ask Masvidal to put the belt on the winner of whoever picks up this chap this at the weekend. And Masvidal is all in. He's endorsing it. You see, my original take on the second gimmick was, well, you're mugging Masvidal off just because he's retired. But now you've got him involved and he's like, lads, I'll be there and I will crown the new BMF. I will hand over the BMF to whoever <laughs> it may be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm back in on it now. I'm back in on the gimmick, so I've no doubt I'm going to get some shit for that. But it is what it is. The fight is five rounds of unadulterated violence. You know what you're getting with these two guys because they've done it before and they dished exactly. up the best part of 20 minutes, which was incredibly violent. Yeah, the previous fight was absolutely mega. And um, that was over five rounds, but it didn't go five rounds because Dustin Poirier's boxing rung true. And that night it was Dustin Poirier's boxing against 
Justin Gaethje's leg kicks and lack of head movement. But I would say that Gaethje has improved monumentally since then. He's learned how to move his head. Dustin Poirier has improved monumentally since then, has picked up the kind of wins that Gaethje can really only dream about, even though in the time frame, they've both actually lost hmm. to the same two people. They've both been submitted by Habib and by Charlie Olives. Amongst all that, they both had magnificent fight of the year contenders against Michael Chandler. These two guys are right there. They're right below Islam. They're right and potentially just under Charles. But you've got Dustin and, and Justin. They're so well matched. They've both improved so much. But they've both improved in areas that I can only see this fight being as competitive as the first fight. Yeah. Maybe on an elite level, on the next level up. But I can only see it being an all-out war once again. I can only see both of them getting hit, rocked, smashed from pillar to post, head fucking grinded down the fence, legs kicked up, chins tested, dropped up, down. Like it is going to be a complete and utter slugfest. And if you want, you don't don't believe my me saying that. Just look what Dustin Poirier said today or yesterday when he said. We'll celebrate together in the hospital afterwards. That, my friend, is a fucking line in the sand to go. Don't miss this. We're going to knock seven kinds of shite out of one another. And listen, I've been to Salt Lake City. I've been there, man. It's Mormon country. Those people don't even let you drink a beer without sitting down. True story. They don't serve beer after about fucking quarter past eight at night. It is absolutely clean as a whistle, not a bit of litter on the streets, not a bit of jaywalking going on. It's that kind of town. This will be the last time UFC go there because they will ban the UFC because this fight's going to be so fucking violent. They're going to kill each other. It's going to be unreal. Honestly, this, I wasn't in on the BMF. I was like, ah, oh, BMF, come on, man. BMF is Nate Diaz versus Masvidal, two street guys, two motherfuckers who are like, fuck you, motherfucker. We're going to slap each other down and fight in a boatyard, blah, 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 blah. Then I watched Poirier Gaethje won. And I finished watching Poirier Gaethje won the four rounds, the finish, the bloodbath, the murder. And I went, you know what? Yeah, man, these are two bad motherfuckers. <laughs> I endorse this fight. So there you go. I endorse this fight. The, dif the difference... Between this one compared to the last one, I think there's bigger ramifications on it for the loser, mate. I think you can't lose this fight if you've got dreams of being the lightweight champion. They're both at the stage of the career now, and they've both been, since their first fight, they've both come up against Habib. They've both yeah. been beaten by Habib. They've both yeah. come up against Charles. They've both been beaten by Charles. Yes, their paths have been near enough identical, wonderful fights where... Uh, Michael Chandler, all these types of things. Yeah. But it has landed them now at a place where they face each other. The winner, absolutely, will probably be next after Charles, you would think. Yeah. The loser, it's a, it's a tough one. It is a tough, tough place for the loser to be of this fight. Well, don't bear in mind the first fight, they were both 28. They're now 34. So, realistically, the winner is going to be 35, more than likely, before he gets his title opportunity. And his title opportunity is going to come against either Habib 2.0 in Islam or against Charles. The guy who's already beaten. The guy who's already submitted both of them. 
against the prodigy of the guy who's already submitted both of them. So the challenge that awaits the victor is monumental, but the opportunity is there, you're correct. For the loser, who then has to go away and what? Fight a Benil Dariush? Fight another one of these surgeon lightweights? You know, defender's position? Then come back? Then still have to beat potentially one of these three? Somebody else? Your two or three fights. Now you're looking at maybe if you win, if you lose here, then win three. You're still going to be 36, 37. You're badly running out of time. You're right. This is not mm. like 2018, where they no. were both, at, you know, both in their late twenties, chasing that world title opportunity. You both had world title opportunities now, and they both fallen short. In fact, they've both been interim champions, haven't they? Haven't they both had short reigns as interim champion? Correct. That could define both legacies. Now, I've I've tried to sell this narrative before, and it came back and bit me in the ass royally. So I ain't going to do it again. But what I will say is, and I'm not, and again, I ain't going one way or the other because of this narrative. But Dustin Poirier has made a lot more money than Justin Gaethje. And that's because he's had three fights with Conor McGregor. Forget the first one. Yeah, the last two fights two. he's had yeah. between Khabib and Charles, he had two fights with Conor McGregor. In fact, if you remember when Khabib retired, he went, nah, man, I ain't fighting for the belt right now. I'm going to do Conor and make generational wealth. And he did that. And in the aftermath of that, you go, will he ever be the same? And then he beats Connor twice and he goes and fights Charles Oliveira. And it's a good fight until it isn't a good fight. And then he gets submitted. Will he ever be the same? Then he gets it with Michael Chandler. And then you're like, okay, Dustin Poirier's competitive streak has got fuck all to do with what's in the bank. This guy's still an absolute elite mixed martial artist and hungry mm-hmm. for success. And hungry yeah. to get there. So I'm got just look at the last two performances. Chandler said to me, Dustin Poirier is better than he's ever been, and he's a motherfucker, and he's still a force to be reckoned with, and he's better than ever. Then I looked and went, you know what? Could be a change of the guard this in March. Fazeev could be the best tie boxer we've ever seen in the lightweight division. Fazeev is a next generation striker. He's so fast, he's so strong. Gaethje's so easy to hit. I could see Gaethje losing this. And what does Justin Gaethje do? He goes and makes a fool out of me as well because he took the best Fazeev had to offer. And then he went, that all you got, kid? And he walked them down and he changed his tactics and he smashed them to bits in London in March. And he was incredible. And I come out of that going, Justin Gaethje's still a motherfucker. Justin Gaethje is better than ever. And Justin Gaethje has still got aspirations to be lightweight champion. It's that performance for me, mate, that kind of directs who I would pick to win this. The, the the development of both guys is obviously there for all to see over the, over the six years since they first met. That first fight is incredibly competitive, and we've got to put it into con- context. That first fight is Justin Gaethje's third fight in the UFC. He was the, the WSOF champion, weren't he? You know what I mean? He was... He was doing that. Well, now known as PFL, isn't it? The new incarnation of it. But But undefeated highlight reel, and he was having these fights with guys that were lesser than him. And he came into the UFC. I think he was 15 and 0 when he arrived at the UFC. You know, MMA's best kept, worst kept secret is what they used to refer to him as. He comes in, he wins his debut, right? But then he loses two fights on the spin. And the second one was this against Dustin Poirier. 
So for the first time in his life, he went into that fight having suffered defeat, having suffered, having been stopped. So if you look at the interviews in and around that time, he just went, well, you know, it was going to happen at some point. And he hadn't learned. He hadn't changed his style. He hadn't learned how to deal with that defeat. He just put it down to one of those things. And he used the exact same tactics as he's done all his life and went straight in to a fight with Dustin Poirier, who is an elite boxer. And he has major success. He's kicking away at Dustin's legs. He chews those legs up. Dustin's doing the business with the hands. And it was a matter of time before one of them was going to wilt. And as, as we've proven time and time and time again, Dustin Poirier don't wilt. He's got an unbelievable dog in him. You've got to do something very, very special to get rid of Dustin Poirier. Normally, <laughs> you've got to choke him out, yeah. You've yeah. got to submit him. If it's on the feet, he ain't going anywhere. And I just thought that that first fight came a little bit too early in the UFC tenure for Justin Gaethje. He hadn't learned from his first defeat. And he was naive. And it was that fight that changed him. Because since then, even though he's had defeats against Habib, against Charlie Olives, He's completely become a different fighter. Okay, he's still not using offensive wrestling, which is batshit crazy for me, but he does use it defensively in order to keep the fight on the feet. And as you look at that last performance at UFC 286 against Rafael Fiziev, one of the best kickboxers in the entire UFC roster, not just lightweight, he took him to school. He was absolutely fantastic. His head movement was great. His range control was great. His kicks was just dirty as fuck. His hands were awesome, but it was his head movement, the way he was slipping shots. He wasn't just sitting there going, go on then, tee off on me, like he was yeah. doing in the first fight with Dustin Poirier. <laughs> Poirier will find him. There's no doubt about that because of how good he is, but it will be a lot more difficult than it was in the first fight. Poirier will have success. I do not doubt that. But I just am taking the Poirier performance against Chandler where Chandler had big successes against Dustin. Mm -hmm. Dustin had to find a way. He dug deep, didn't he? He found that way and he ended up getting the victory. I think that the performance of Fiz against Fiziev from Gaethje is a far more clinical, not insp inspiring is the wrong word, but far more conclusive performance to keep to take hold of and go, that's the guy that's in the form. He's in red hot form right now. These guys are going to come together. They're going to give us an absolute belter. But I just think, I think Gaethje will get this done on points. I can't see either of them getting finished this time around. But I just think Gaethje will be cute enough and clever enough to, to bank rounds where previously he wouldn't have banked rounds. And he, he will get this done on points just. When you look at them statistically... <clears throat> Justin Gaethje has had 11 fights in the UFC. Guess how many bonuses he's won in his 11 fights? That's nine wins, nine wins and two losses. He's had 11 fights and 11 performance bonuses. Yeah, man. He had two in one night, didn't he? he do, he's done that on multiple occasions. He's had seven <laughs> fight of the nights and he's had four performance of the nights. Yeah. So in just 11 fights, he's already in joint second place for the most fight of the night bonuses in UFC history. In just 11 fights, he's had seven. Top of the list, in joint first position, most okay. fight of the nights in their careers is eight. So he's only one fight of the night away from joining the upper echelon and joining alongside a couple of fighters who've had eight fight of the night bonuses in their career. However, 
if this is fight of the night, we will have a new standalone out on his own fight of the night record holder because Dustin Poirier is in that mix already. He's already yeah. had eight in his career. I know he's had a lot more than 11 fights, but he's had eight fight of the night bonuses in his UFC career. It will be fight like, of the night. There's no doubt in my mind. It fucking absolutely incredible from start to finish because that's who these two guys are. Can you and see a right. finish? Can you I see, can a see a finish? I you absolutely can. can see a finish, yeah. Absolutely can. And the reason being is... Because of exhaustion? Fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The 25-minute fight. And if you go back and watch the first fight... And again, yeah, you they're know, knackered. they're both massively improved. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're not going to set a tempo. That doesn't mean yeah. they're not going to fly at each other because of what's at stake now. There's more yeah. at stake now than there was six years ago for everything we've just said earlier on. If you if you don't win now, you're feel like you're going to feel like you're a million miles away from a title shot. You're going to be the guy... That is known as being, oh, the human highlight reel. Never won the title, though. Oh, the guy who ended Conor McGregor. Never won the title, though. And that's what those two, their legacies at the moment are. Fan favorite, highlight reel, incredible. This guy, fucking hell. This guy retired Conor McGregor. This guy's amazing. Made generational wealth fantastic. But when they go Hall of Fame, someone like a Daniel Cormier be like, oh, they never won the title, though. And neither of these guys want that on their resume. Neither of yeah. these guys want to end their UFC career for everything they've done in this sport, for everything they've done for this organization, generating billions, of, well, maybe not billions, but millions and millions of dollars. It would be a travesty if either of them left without being lightweight champion of the world for at least one period of time. And the losers staring down the barrel of the gun of it never happening. So for that means that you're getting an extra 10% on the fact that they're already 20% better than they were six months ago, six years ago anyway. So you're going to get the very best of Dustin Poirier and the very best of Justin Gaethje. What that means is there's no quit in any of them. What that means is the game plans are going to be absolutely spot on. Yeah. Dustin knows Justin's going to fly at him with leg kicks at worst last time. He's at least going to try it. But guess what? Around. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. You're right. Dustin Poirier... Used those exact same tactics that Justin Gaethje almost beat him with, with Conor McGregor. So he knows that game plan inside and out. He used it to expose Conor on two occasions. So Dustin's going to be more than ready for Justin's leg kicks. But likewise, Justin's head movement doesn't just come on a straight line anymore. He doesn't take three to land one. He's realized now, especially in the Fazeev fight, yeah, Fazeev started great, was so fast. But then when... Fazeev's energy stank started to drop. That's when Justin Gaethje comes alive. That's what he does. That's why he's the human highlight reel. The trenches is where he belongs. He wants a dog fight. He wants exhaustion into round three because there's no quitting him and he'll keep going. But there's no quitting Dustin Poirier. I think this fight's going to be incredibly close. I think this fight goes the distance. And honestly, I think we're going to get something a bit special. And I, I know we've just done the boxing show and I know I said we're going to get something special with Crawford and Spence as well. But I honestly think Poirier versus Gaethje is going to be a fight of the year contender without any yeah. shadow, without in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, man. <sighs> and if it's 1-1, if Gaethje does win, he's got to go again. Fucking right. <laughs> I can't wait for it. It's going to be an unbelievable main event. And it's going to be quite a solid main card as well because just before it in the core main event you've got 15 minutes of two light heavyweights going at it 
where we don't really know coming into this fight where these two guys are at, at light heavyweight. Jan Blakowicz, former champion, coming off the back of that really weird draw that me and you attended in December. Uh, and then you've got Alex Pereira, who's coming off the back of a knockout loss to Israel Adesanya in the weight division below. Big ramifications again, because you know that the main event is heading towards the lightweight title if you win it. And you know that if you win this, you're heading towards a title shot in the light heavyweight division, because obviously Jamal Hill's just vacated. Yuri Patch is coming back from injury. That title's going to be vacant. UFC are going to try and make a title fight. Perhaps there's going to be one half of that title fight. And you would think that the winner of this is going to be the other half of that title fight. Mm-hmm. There is an easy path to victory for Jan Blakowicz. Whether people admit this or not, there is. Take Alex Pereira down in the centre of the octagon, like you did with Israel Adesanya. Keep him there and maul him. Don't stand mm-hmm. with him because you're playing to his game. But we're talking about Polish power here, mate. Mm-hmm. He's got a massive set of stones. He wants mm-hmm. to test his Polish power. This is a man that has made a necklace and a... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Bracelet. A bracelet out of a noose that he found in a forest of a man that committed suicide. That is the type of character that you are dealing with, with Jan Blachowicz. He believes that that brings him Polish power and good luck. And he's taking on uh, Alex Pereira, who, as we all know, is a phenomenal kickboxer. He was a huge middleweight. He's still going to be a huge light heavyweight. Um, and he can crack like fuck. So if they do stand, which we all want them to do, we all want them to stand in the middle of the octagon and, and, and kickbox, and I think Jan is daft enough to try it early doors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That we'll, we'll have an absolute firecracker. Um, but I genuinely believe that if Jan withstands that fire, at some point he'll shoot. He'll take Alex down. Like I say, key thing is to do it in the centre rather than anywhere near the cage so he can bounce back to his feet and then he can get to work and maul him. Yeah, I think this is going to be a bit of a boxing match. I really do. Because well, Pejaya... Pereira's going to be the bigger guy in there, which will be mental because obviously Blachowicz is the career light heavyweight and Pereira's coming up for middleweight, but he's three inches taller and we know that he was he's, he was always a light heavyweight that killed himself to get down to middleweight. Yeah. Whereas now, for the first time, he's going to allow his body to grow during fight week and he's not going to restrict his carbs, not going to restrict his water intake, not going to restrict his vitamins, his nutrients, well, everything else. He still will to an extent because he's gigantic. Well, he'll still have to, to make weight, extent. but <laughs> nowhere near. He's, you know, he's 20 pounds he's got a stone. heavier. He's got an, yeah, he's got an extra stone. 20, he's 20 pounds heavier than where he was. So he's, he's going to be gigantic. And I think that will surprise Jan a little bit. I really do. Jan certainly won't be intimidated. Far from it. I think Jan will try and box them. I think Pereira will probably be restricted from throwing kicks because the fear of Jan catching a kick and taking him down. But of course, he will have been sprawling like a motherfucker the entire camp with Glover Teixeira. And Glover Teixeira took the title away from Jan Blahovic. And that's Alex Pereira's head coach. So there's a narrative there as well. Obviously, he did it in a manner in which you would suggest Alex Pereira isn't skilled enough to do that, i.e. on the ground. Mm-hmm. But this is a guy who's got a coach that is trained specifically for his opponents previously, knows his strengths and his weaknesses yeah. inside and out. This is all inside information that can help Alex Bahia. If he can keep that fight in the centre of the octagon, not the full octagon, you know, the centre octagon, the little black tape, Bahia needs to keep it in there and he wants Blachowicz's feet and his feet on the black tape. When he can't move outside of it, 
doesn't want to go too far up against the fence. He's comfortable in the clinch. He's comfortable throwing elbows. He's comfortable throwing tinies. You've got to be careful. You can't let Blachowicz close the distance too much because if he shoots and takes you down, he's going to be in a world of pain. And no matter how good he's worked with, with Glover Teixeira, you can't yeah. learn grap- that level of grappling, that level of jiu-jitsu overnight. So I-, I think it's going to be a fascinating fight. I think it plays out as a boxing match. I think both these guys could get dropped. I think the Polish power is very real. But I've just got this feeling... No, Jan is the wrong side of 40, man. And yeah, I know he is. Alex Perheya, I think he could have a real run in this light heavyweight division. I really do. I'm the other way. And I don't know whether it's because I'm getting romantic about uh, Poland against Czech Republic for uh, for the light heavyweight title. Maybe, maybe it's that. I don't know. But I just think Jan Blachowicz will be too clever. I don't think he's going to fight a daft fight. He knows where he's at in his life. There's no point. Do take the path of least resistance. And I think you, there's an easy path here. If you can get hold of him, take him down and maul him. That's, that's what he needs to do. It doesn't have to be attractive to win. It doesn't have to be attractive, does it? Just maul him. It's mixed martial arts, man. You don't have to, it's not a tough man contest. You're not on a Yates' car park. Do the sensible thing. But if he doesn't do the sensible thing, we're in for a night of entertainment because these two both can crack and they could both knock yeah. each other out at the same minute. It'd be yeah, unbelievable. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another Pejera is in action, but he's against the Wonder Boy. This has been boosted to uh, the main card because uh, Paulo Costa was taken off this card because he was then rematched up with Hamzat, which is at two nine four. So we've uh, boosted this one to the main card. I'm delighted because everybody knows that I'm a Wonder Boy fan, um, and these two are the most creative—not the most, but absolutely two of the most uh, creative strikers in the UFC. Pajera's in a really nice, rich vein of form. He seems to have found himself. He's a big lad as well for this uh, weight division. He seems very similar to uh, what Johnny Walker's done, calmed the crazy, striking down where he's getting all wild and all that type of stuff. He's still doing it, but he's doing it a little bit more considered now. Um, And Wonderboy's coming off the back of a great victory against Kevin Holland. Yeah. Um, He had two defeats previous to that. Uh, I think Pereira's on five fights, if I'm not mistaken. Last time out was against Ponzinibbio. He was great against them. But it was over a year. It was over a year ago that. So that's interesting. Um he, we haven't seen him since last May. Uh Michel Pereira. Um I really like this fight, mate. I think it's fantastic stylistically. If you like striking, if you like kickboxing, if you like combat karate, this is the fight to watch because these two are beautiful. Yeah, my my concern for Wonderboy is as he's shot as low, do you know what I mean? Is he is he on his way out? Is he slowing down again? I I, I don't like to label these guys as being on the way out just because they're forty. Because you know, no. I don't, I'm, he's I'm still got a role to play. But you're talking about the very top end. Aren't I'm you? talking about well, he's lost as, just lost to Gilbert Burns, for example. You know what I mean? And he's at the top end. Yeah, and Bilal Muhammad. And there's no lot. There's no. Top there's end. no. Yeah, yeah. There's no. There's no shame in that. But the problem is with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's style that that bouncing on your toes. You know, point scoring karate kind of style that he's absolutely yeah. made his own and he's made work in the UFC. Yeah, I feel like that's a young man's game. Do you know what I mean? And the reflexes do slow down. I don't care who you are. You get to forty years of age. I'm fucking telling you now, from experience, you slow down <laughs> mentally, physically. From experience, <laughs> I'm telling you, when I was in my thirties, kid. I was like <laughs> grease lightning. Now. I'm like a fucking tortoise. 
You know what I mean? You you get out of bed every morning. Oh, me back. Oh, oh, just touching your toes is a bit of a nightmare when you should get to past the age of 40. And Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, even though he's in peak physical condition, he's an elite professional athlete. He will be feeling it. His body isn't moving the same way as it used to. It's not recovering the same way it used to. Everything takes longer now. Hence the reason why he's only had one fight in the last fucking two years or whatever. He fought in December, and prior to that, it was the yeah. December before. You know, he's not busy either. But I just think right now, Michel Perea, he's had his rocky patch. He's had that. He had that blasted into the UFC, got exposed a couple of times, went away, reinvented himself. He's come back now. He's on a five-fight winning run. He looks incredibly controlled. He's so talented. He's still got the flashiness when he needs it. And he's 29, man. He's 29. He's a pup. He's a, in relative terms, he's achieved nothing in this game where Stephen Wonderboy yeah. Thompson has been a main event many times. He's a crowd favourite. He's been married in this sport to Chris Weidman's sister or vice versa. And his, his sister's married to Chris Weidman, I think it is. You know, he's integrate he's integral he's integral integral part of this sport for well over a decade. But the sport waits for no man. And I just think this this is set up perfectly to see you end in tears because Steve Stop Michel Pahea gets the best win of his career. And it would be. It'd be probably this be, be the signature win on Pahea's career. I'm not having it. You know I'm not having that, mate. Nonsense. <laughs> does Tony does Tony Ferguson end his losing streak? Um, there's absolutely nothing to suggest why he would. That's my big fear with Tony Ferguson, you know, and he's gone. He is the poster boy for time waits for no man because he was untouchable. He was on this incredible winning run. Dozen, dozens of wins that we're talking about. Is he the kryptonite? to Habib Nurmagomedov. Is he the guy that can do it? Is Tony Ferguson the best lightweight in the world? And we just can't make the fight. We can't see this fight. And then suddenly, he gets matched with, after the string of performance of the night, fight of the night, amazing winning run performances against former champions like Pettis and uh, Rafael de Sanyos and fucking people like that. Just magnificence. Okay, let's put him in with Justin Gaethje then. We'll get him towards Habib. That ain't happening for what? The fight with Habib, if you remember, was made about four times and for various reasons. Him well, falling over it. wires, Habib <laughs> pulling out. It was like four or five times the fight with Habib was made and ultimately didn't get over the line. And it mm. became the biggest running joke in MMA that these guys were just cursed never to face each other. So in the end, he ended up facing a young, upcoming Justin Gaethje for the interim belt, if you remember. And... Yeah, yeah. Um, Gets you he gets through. knocked out. He gets knocked out in the fifth round. Fight of the night, unbelievable, typical. But he gets knocked off and knocked out in the fifth round. They put him in then with Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira beats him up for three rounds. Then he goes in with Benil Dariush. That was supposed to be a bit of a layup. Dariush defined his emergence as a contender with a points decision victory over Tony Ferguson. Then he, then he put him in Michael Chandler. He was Come into the UFC, been shot into a title shot quickly. Put him in with Tony Ferguson. Gets knocked out. That big front kick in the second round. And then last time out, in what felt like a meeting of the old guard. Throw them together. Diaz had lost the BMF. Ferguson couldn't buy a win. Let's do Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson. Up at welterweight and what happens 
Nate Diaz chokes him out in the fourth round. With Tony Ferguson's style, we talk about Wonderboy. It was all reflexes. It was all natural. It was fucking rollovers and cartwheels and completely unorthodox. But it was heavy pressure. It was incredible cardio. It was an incredible chin that he would yeah. walk through shit and break you down physically and mentally and devour you. That's what Tony Ferguson's game was. But now the chin's gone. Now the cardio's slowed down. Now the agility's not quite there. He's not quite as gymnastic as he used to be. Now he's being exposed as being, in relative terms, an old man. And I, to be honest, I think this is the last throw of the dice. And I think Bobby Green, you know, I said last time, if, listen, if you can't beat Nate Diaz, where Nate is in his career, it's possibly the end. Come down a level. If you can't beat Bobby Green, Bobby Green is, you know, wins as many as he loses these days, then it's potentially the end of his career. So I think it's a good matchup. I like the fight, but. I've seen nothing from Tony Ferguson that makes me think he can turn it around, truly. Yeah, stylistically, it don't work for him, does it? Bobby Green's got nice hands, man. He's going to catch him at some point, and if that chin's gone, <sighs> Bobby Green should be able to get the business done, which is obviously heartbreaking for any fan that has bought a ticket that wants to see Tony Ferguson win. What is it now? Five on the spin? Six on the spin? Five on the spin. All decent level, as you've just said. Yeah. But I've just got a feeling that this will be six. <clears throat> oh, man. Uh, yeah. Kevin Holland, the real BMF, proper BMF, Absolutely. none of this nonsense BMFs. Geezer that takes fights anytime, any place, anywhere, short notice, doesn't make a difference, man. Kevin Holland is all in, taking on Michael Chiesa. Chiesa's lost his last two. He's never knocked anybody out, Michael Chiesa. You know what he wants to do? He wants to grapple. He wants to get hold of you. He wants to ragdoll you. He wants to lie on you and concrete blanket the living daylights out of you. Whereas Kevin Holland wants to do out, mate. He wants to be creative. He wants to be a, a superhero, cartoon character. He wants to fly through the sky. And do some mad kung fu shit. Um, listen, he got beaten by Wonderboy. Uh, um, the fight against Ponzinibbio, though, mate, gives me hope because I genuinely believe that if he keeps this on the feet, and I think he's got all the skills in the world to be able to keep this on the feet, I think he can quite comfortably outpoint Michael Chiesa. Yeah, I think Sean Brady proved last time out that Michael Chiesa, if you let him do Michael Chiesa things, obviously he's a fucking nightmare. But if you don't let him do Michael Chiesa things, if you can compete with him on the ground, as you know, he's been he's been submitted a few times. Vincente Luque submitted him, Kevin Lee submitted him, Anthony Petters submitted him. He can be beaten. But I think Sean Brady proved last time out that you can make this a relatively easy fight if you make him fight your kind of fight, and that's what Kevin Holland's got to do. Kevin Holland's got some sub, submissions in his game. Yeah. And he's dangerous on the ground. Don't want to do and it. I think that, but he doesn't want to do it. He wants to stand. He wants to bang. <laughs> and this is the this is the exact fight where he's got to do that. He's got to stand and bang. He's got to let those knockouts flow. He's got to touch Michael Chiesa on the chin and wait for him to shoot and be ready to shoot. And then when he sprawls, get on top of him uh, and ground and pound him. And as we know, he's got lethal ground and pound. He's got good submission game. I like this fight for Kevin Holland. Um, yes, I think it's a fight that he's more than capable of winning and putting himself back in the mix at welterweight. But then it's also a favourable match for Michael Chiesa. But Michael Chiesa, again, he's just a fucking nightmare for everybody because you know exactly what he's going to do. He's so bloody good at it yeah. that he'll frustrate the living daylights out of him if you let him. And, and there'll be moments in this, there'll be moments in this where he does get older, Kevin Holland, and it isn't attractive yeah. to watch. Yeah. 
But if Holland can keep the majority of it on his feet, I think he could light him up and, and points decision this. Yeah, totally agree. Derek Lewis and the, the Lima going out the first round. Does it get out of two minutes? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Derek Lewis outside of Dallas, I like. Because yeah. every time he fights in Dallas, where he's from, he gets chinned. He gets so nervous, man. You've got to get Derek Lewis out of Dallas, out of Texas, sorry. He ain't in Texas now. He's in Salt Lake City, Utah. And that means Derek Lewis will be completely free. No pressure on his shoulders. No family at ring cage side. No one there basically buying tickets on the back of seeing the local boy knock someone out. I think the pressure's off him. And it needs to be because the dude in the opposite corners, a serious fucking dude. The JDO de Lima is only six foot one, but he's six foot one wide as well of pure <laughs> muscle. He's a fucking wrecking machine, man. And I just think, think him, Kevin Holland, eh, Kevin Holland, Jesus Christ, there's a matchup. That'd be an unbelievable fight. I reckon Kevin Holland will take it. Him and the he's Black that mad. Beast. He's that mad. Yeah. Is just a knockout show. The Black Beast, where he is right now, even knock you, even knock him out or he knocks you out. And that's it. There ain't no points. There ain't no nothing else. And Rogerio de Lima will want that on his resume. He will want Derek Lewis, former title contender, on his resume. And I think you'll go looking for him. And that might play into the hands of Derek Lewis. Or maybe Derek Lewis has just had one knockout too many because mm. it happens to everybody. And that's what makes this one fun. Obviously, we want Derek Lewis to win. I want to see the old dog get one more, or at least a couple more big knockouts. He's a fun mix in this heavyweight division. Rogerio de Lima can absolutely come again anyway. There's no shame in getting knocked out by Ke- by Derek Lewis. I just think from a fan favourite perspective, this is the one that will really get that Salt Lake crowd going because Derek Lewis is a fan favourite, man. And if he drops a big heavy bomb on the big yeah. Brazilian, mate, the litmus, the fucking blue touch paper gets lit and we get something special on the main card. It's all about the main event, though, isn't it, mate? Let's be honest. Of course it is. Of course it fucking is. Listen... It is set to be an absolute unbelievable night. You've got, if you're into your boxing, you've obviously got a bit of Spence Crawford to give you an hard on. Uh, before it though, make sure you check this out. Because of the time difference, I think Salt Lake will be about an hour, main event especially, it'll be about an Bloody hour awesome. be. before the main event at uh, in Las Vegas because that's the time difference. So I'm guessing that they'll all play, play ball. You yeah. don't want to go up against the UFC on a pay-per-view, I suppose. You want to try and maximise the amount of fight fans. And especially if Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier knock seven bells of shit out of each other, there's going to be a lot of adrenaline flying around with a lot of crazy Americans that might have drunk a few beers and think, right, is there any more violence knocking about? Well, yes, there is a bit more violence knocking about. It's in Las Vegas. Go and watch some Errol Spence and uh, Terence Crawford. It is a great, great fight week. We're very fortunate uh, to have this week. Celebrate it. Make sure you watch it all and take it all in and come back and join us on Monday for more action. How are you going to consume this, by the way? Are you doing double screen? No, I'm going to go all in one screen. I think this will be wrapped up in time for Spence versus Crawford anyway. I'm hoping to see Daenerys. If I don't, I'll bite the bullet and watch that back on Sunday in the co-main event Sam, out that's in the right Las way. Vegas. But I'm going to go Telford to Salt Lake. UFC. Yeah. Salt Lake to Las Vegas. Oh, there's a trip. There's a trip. Uh, listen, thank, thank you very much uh, for tuning in to our podcast. You can subscribe to it via our website, fightdisciples.com. Every single audio feed is there for you. We're also on YouTube. Check us out, Fight Disciples. Please subscribe to us. Come back on Monday. 
because I reckon we're going to probably be on for about four or five hours reviewing everything that has uh, happened at the weekend because it's going to be an unbelievable weekend of fighting action. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.